We spend this evening telling the story of how God was moved by the suffering of our oppressed and enslaved forebears and led them to freedom in the wilderness. We tell the story of how Jesus broke all convention and took the place of the servant, washing the feet of the disciples, making them forever the friends of God and not the servants. We chant the psalm of our fidelity to the God who frees us from bondage. These are the most basic elements of our story, that we were slaves in Egypt, used as chattel by pharaohs, and that God was so moved by our suffering that God led us into the wilderness where each of us was free. Eventually, we enslaved ourselves again by putting all kinds of stipulations on who could experience God and when and how, only in the temple, and even then with a priest after a certain amount of sacrifice, and even then only if we were thought pure enough. Again, God heard the cry of our ancestors, oppressed by Roman governors and devalued by a Jewish religious hierarchy, and sent Jesus to free us from our enslavement, which some people call sin. The life and death of Jesus established that we are all free to experience God and to live forever in God and to live as equals with each other. We are free to accept goodness in our lives. One could say that ours is the story of a people who were freed by their creator so that they might live with that creator in peace and in justice, only to recreate their bondage and lose touch again with that creator. What is it about Egypt that is so preferable to living in freedom? We've spent most of our history in one Egypt or another. We don't always see Egypt for what it is, I think. I know that I don't. After a while, any cage begins to look like home, does it not? We forget, if we ever knew, what freedom looked like, how it felt, what it meant to us. We learn to live with our enslavements. Our enslavements to our wealth, to our social status, to our addictions, to our intellectual pursuits. And we build our lives around them, being careful to avoid anything which would remind us of what we're missing out there in the wild, wonderful world. There's a certain rhythm in that. There is security for us in Egypt, but there's trouble too. In Egypt, our complete loyalty to our bondage, whatever it is, means that everybody else's needs come second. And that any creativity on our part, any daring use of our imagination in pursuit of truth or beauty or goodness, comes only with enormous pain because we cannot afford to know what we are really missing. In Egypt, there are not enough resources for marginalized people because we are constantly starving, bonded as we are to our need to feed the enslavement and not our souls or anybody else's. But the worst thing about living in Egypt, I think, is that while we are convinced that it is the best place to be, it is all the time taking from us that which is what makes us who we really are. We are all the time giving up our freedom to choose our freedom to think about other realities, our freedom to live fully complex lives in the company of others. In Egypt, God is far away, 
remote, unchanging, untouched by our existence, or so it seems. God is not the God who said, I heard the cry of my people, and I freed them from Egypt. The first time God freed us from Egypt, the path led to the wilderness, which was entirely confusing for people who were used to being told what to do, what to think, how to feel. It was way too much for people who had lost their capacity for self-governance, for imagination, for compassion. It was too difficult to think about a God upon whom they had had impact. They thought that they needed a God who was in tight control and who knew what would happen before it happened. They thought of themselves as puppets, so they thought they needed a puppeteer. To have a God with whom they might create reality together was way, way, way too extraordinary. It had to be limited, and so they did for thousands of years. The second time God freed us from Egypt, or sin, or death, or whatever you would like to call it, Jesus said, look, let's get it right this time. I am not your oppressor. I am your friend, your brother your companion, and I wash your feet to prove it. Your lives have had a huge impact on me. I take your experience with me when I return to the Father. Take this as a sign that you can do the same thing. You can set up your own communities based on what I have taught you. You don't have to wait for someone else to tell you where and how to live and where to put your resources. You can call me back into your lives in this Eucharist, and we can live life together. We can stay out of Egypt together. It's frightening, all this freedom to come out of Egypt into the wilderness of our own souls. It's a huge step off a large cliff, and it can't be done alone. But that's why we're here tonight, to commemorate our complete freedom to be a community based on the desires of God for us, on peace, on mercy, and inclusion, and justice, and abundance. To celebrate the fact that God is not impervious to our pain. To celebrate the fact that in this wilderness, we will find heaven. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.